0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network.
1: Hey, I'm Steve Engelhart, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast.
2: Hello, welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is the Fantastic Four, episode 18 a covering the first half of the epic collection called The More Things Change. This is a period of the Fantastic Four from 1987 to 1988.
0: I'm your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Fantastic Four host, Eric Findlay. What issues are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about the Marvel graphic novel hulk versus thing or hulk thing and fantastic four issues 308 to 312 now when i
2: talked about this one what i've been doing recently in my podcasts is now breaking the epic collections in half having two episodes per epic epic collection i've been trying to do them all in one but first of all that makes a tremendously long episode especially when i have to edit it afterwards Mm -hmm. and it's also a lot for me to read Um, in, well, I, I was doing them one every two weeks. So essentially I'm reading the same amount, but it feels like I don't have to read as much or something. Yeah.
0: You don't have to remember as much.
2: Yeah, that's true too. But when, when I was looking at this and I was asking you, when is a good breaking point? And you're saying, well, either we break it really early before the Belasco and Master Pandemonium story or after it, just before the Secret right. Wars Cause, number cause three. Any,
0: any measurement of, quote, the middle of the book is right in the middle of that story.
2: Right. So I opted uh, to, uh, to to put the breaking point right after issue number 312, It's called Turning Point. That issue is called Turning Point. So there is a natural progression from where the characters are into the beginning of this book to uh, to where they're going to go into the end of this book. That means we only really have one, two, three, four, five issues to talk about today, plus the Marvel graphic novel. So this may be a shorter episode and the next one may be a little bit longer. But I think this will give us room to breathe. Mm -hmm. And also the back half of this book goes in a very very different direction so (laughs) it's good to kind of split the conversation into two right um okay so what do we need to know about this book about fantastic four in this period before jumping into this book
0: so particularly if um this is your first fantastic four book one of the key things to know is that um, mr fantastic and invisible woman are not in this book right they have left the team in order to try to raise uh, their son franklin in a quote normal environment and they placed Ben in charge. Ben then recruits former member uh, Crystal, the Inhuman, and his former partner from the Thing uh, ongoing series, Sharon Ventura, who is now going by Miss Marvel. Two things to know about them. Sharon received her powers in the Thing series uh, from a mysterious character named the Power Broker. Um, He would addict his clients to a drug that would slowly turn them into like mutant monster thingies unless they regularly came back for his antidote. And she and uh, Captain America went to stop the power broker in Captain America 330, 331. Um, By the way, this is when Captain America was known as the Captain. And while they were successful in stopping the power broker, she was raped by the power broker's henchmen, despite having her powers. Right. Uh, Crystal is an inhuman with elemental powers. Uh, She was married to Quicksilver, and they are right now going through the process of a divorce because she cheated on him uh, with a human yeah. um, <laughs> a real estate guy. Yeah. Um, and that takes place in Vision and Scarlet Witch issues 6 to 12. Um, last thing to know about uh, going into this one is that Latveria has been usurped from Dr. Doom by Christoph Vernard, a child who has Doom's memories implanted. Um, who thinks that he is doomed because the process was incomplete. And that happened last volume in Fantastic Four Annual 20.
2: I guess you could also say that Johnny and Alicia Storm are newly married. Right. They are. That also happened last volume. Yep. They are just moving into their apartment uh, in this issue here.
0: And Crystal and Johnny used to date.
2: Yes. That's an important thing that will come into play as well. So, yeah, I mean, lots of stuff dating back to like really early issues of Fantastic Fantastic Four.
0: Four, Well, uh, for Inhumans, then it goes back to like.
2: Like the 60 plus issues. Yes.
0: Yeah. The 60 plus issues. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, Doctor Doom. He goes back a long time. Yeah. Sorry. Black Panther is in here as well and he showed up in the early fantasy sport issues yep. as well.
2: Yeah. And so this is something that Steve Englehart loves to do is play with the long-standing histories of these characters and we'll see him do that really heavily in the next episode <laughs> for sure. But and that's nice. I like the fact that he pays attention and that he's not kind of rebooting and restarting the characters over. He's playing right. on the characteristics that have been well defined fine with these characters for a long time
0: yeah and and that's part of what makes the fantastic four in my opinion so great is that um they develop these relationships like like i've said before fantastic four is about relationships it's about family and friends and and um steve englehart does a really good job of pulling those connections together
2: yeah so this is uh, not the beginning of his run. The beginning of his run started uh, in the last half of the previous epic collection called All in the Family. And this is just him kind of ramping up. And it this, this run is notorious for having uh, kind of a crash and burn at the end due mm-hmm. to editorial interference yeah. and Steve Englehart's unwillingness to play ball. And, um, and But this is not where we're at yet. This is still kind of do, good stuff from Steve Engelhardt, I think. This is I like think. the high point. Yeah. yeah. I do want to read some comments from people online. I asked on social media to give comments about this particular volume of Epic Collections. And so I have some comments that came across Twitter that relate to both this episode and what we'll talk about in the next episode, but I'm going to read them all here. Uh, Roy says, the story is a bit melodramatic and not the best Englehart. (laughs) It's true, I do enjoy this, but it is not the best Engelhart. But hey all, the saga that ends with Secret Wars 3 is great in terms of how he used continuity. Nobody could use past ideas like him to create new stories. Mm -hmm. In a few issues, he used the Comet Man from a failed miniseries, the Beyonders from the Grunewald stories, the Aliens from a fill-in closing story of Kazar, an Alien World from a crazy Morbius number from Steve Gerber, and it all made sense it's just great so he really liked the secret wars three nice and uh, sandrock 74 says this era of fantastic three was not my favorite <laughs> and that's uh, yeah the that's just a reference that crystal kind of backs out later yeah. on in the story and then brian gooney says not my favorite as Thing admitted early on, he and Torch could smash and burn almost everything, but only Reed could outthink the FF enemies. Plus, that spiky Thing hide was an eyesore and looked impossible to draw. A um, couple comments there. Yes, Thing admitted it, but that was kind of the reason why Steve wanted to tell the story.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a big part of sort of the Thing's character growth through this period. Um, at one point, he mentions that, oh, uh, uh, I have to make a decision about how we split up the group or if we're going together or what we're going to do. And Reed always does this. And I always sort of like, you know, uh, uh, poke fun at him for doing that kind of thing, or, or I give him a hard time for it. And now I understand. hmm Yeah. I think that it's important for him to
2: be placed in this situation just so that he can learn a few yeah. things and, and respect know, Reed a little bit more or exactly. whatever, you know?
0: And, and if he hadn't gone through this period, then he would still sort of be the outsider in the group that he was immediately before Steve Englehart's run.
2: Yeah. Uh, And then also to Brian's comment about the spiky hide looking like an eyesore. It's like, yeah, it does look a little weird, and I think it's supposed to. I mean, he's he's mutated more. He's supposed to look like an eyesore.
0: I've seen some really good renditions of it, Yeah, but because now instead of just um, rock hide, which is hard enough to draw um, and do facial expressions and all that, now it's actually each rock is a spike, and that really does make it messy with um shadows and directions and things yeah and just the and, anatomy and stuff yeah, and it's supposed to have like two uh, like suspenders almost of larger yeah. spikes and and yeah and so placement and yeah it, it does seem really messy it can be done well but i mean if you're going to be doing a whole issue on a timeline that's rough
2: so for people like John Busema and Keith Pollard and especially Joe Sinnott who are the kind of the architects of this design right uh, they get it right but there's an issue of a Hulk in this one and it just <laughs> does not look great so yes not everybody grasped the concept yeah Ryan says not a fan of this I hate the spiky transmutation of thi- of Ben I hate Sharon becoming She-Thing. The only compelling part was Johnny and Crystal's longing for each other despite their marital statuses, reinforcing my belief that Johnny's marriage to Alicia was a terrible mistake. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, I think that's a good comment too. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people blast this period for the fact that Thing mutates and the She-Thing or whatever. And, you know... It's just a story. Things get will get put back yep. to normal by the end of this creator's um, run. and nuts. Everybody yep.
0: hated um, some modern ideas like uh, like Captain America Falcon and, and uh, Jane Foster Thor. And guess what? They
2: didn't stick around. They didn't stick around.
0: And, you know, it, while they may not have admitted it at the beginning, that was the plan. Of
2: course. It always is the plan. It's always the plan. It's... it's the only time things really, really stick around is if is if uh, it really, really takes off with the public. Yeah. So Captain Marvel, for instance, being like Miss Marvel going into Captain Marvel, that really resonated right. with the audience, yeah. and it sold really well. So they're going to stick around. Wolverine with fire claws <laughs> didn't resonate with the audience, no. so there's not going
0: to stick around. They didn't even change it back; <laughs> they just dropped it.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the same thing, like we can make um, parallels to the way She-Hulk is being portrayed in the Avengers right, right. now. Oh, yeah, she's very big and bulky and looks like the Hulk, but that's just for a story. You know, it's yeah. gonna and, you know revert it, back she's, to back. She's
0: got the um, the the smaller vocabulary and everything of, of a Hulk, um, but then just in the recent. Uh, uh empire issue uh there's something that goes on where all of a sudden she has a little bit more of her normal intelligence with her hulk form right so i don't know if that's going to be permanent or whatever but you know quote permanent <laughs> <laughs> yeah if that's going to be the become part of the new normal for her or if it's she's going to go back to the, the dumb hulk after the storyline i don't know as soon as the story runs its course it switches back right And and, and, yeah. and at the very least when the writer changes
2: yeah, and if it, if it's popular enough, it'll stick around for maybe a little while longer, like Superior Spider-Man or something. But again, it always
0: it always goes back. Yeah, we'll, t- we'll talk a little bit more as we get into the issues about um, some of the reasons I think the different forms do work, while they're not my favorite. Right. But then somehow some of the, the story elements make it a little messy. I guess now that I think about it,
2: Sharon Ventura is still still the she thing right to this day she pops up in like the wedding of ben and alicia and she's still a she thing so actually that transformation did stick around it did yes (laughs) so i'm all maybe everything i said doesn't even count
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) well well, it's it's the it's the more memorable uh form i think for her because i mean uh, first of all, the Ms. Marvel name has uh, really been attached to Carol Danvers and yep. Kamala Khan now. Right. So you can't have her be Ms. Marvel. Right. Um, and she's not and, anything else really right, other than that. Right. And and nobody really remembers her as Ms. Marvel in her uh, red and yellow blue you know getup they remember her as she thing right even if they don't remember her with as the name miss marvel because she's still going by miss marvel here yeah they remember her as being the female version of the thing
2: right yeah and so i guess yeah and she's just kind of a nothing character as well so it doesn't really matter what happens like they're trying to
0: do a lot with her and again we'll talk about this more later but it's 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 tough so um one quick comment on the on on johnny though I would agree. I I think that the height of Johnny's marriage with Alicia is actually after she's revealed as a spoiler alert. Oh, right. Well, we've talked about that before. Um, and not for people
2: who are new to the podcast oh, and that are listening true. to these episodes in order,
0: <laughs> in chronological order. That's true. But, uh, you know, when when he's actually like wrestling with, do I actually love this person and comes to the conclusion? Yes, I do. Now that I know the reality here that I thought was a was the, the height of of their relationship. And yeah. this part here is sort of just sort of. Eh.
2: But you have to lay the groundwork as well. And oh, totally. th- this is also just Johnny being new to being married, where he comes from years and years. Um, you know decades our time right. of yeah. being uh, the a player. ladies man yeah. <laughs> and stuff so uh, that's interesting to come to play to come to terms with that reality that he finds himself in which he we yeah. go through even those motions in even his during
0: the uh, engagement period you know he's always passing by a pretty woman and just going oh she's really pretty oh no no i'm engaged now right and yeah, so it's a new adjustment.
2: Yeah, and then uh, just after Steve Englehart's run, there's the whole Delilah story, right? Uh, with uh, Walt Simonson's issues and yes. stuff. So yeah. it's just yeah, he has a lot of um, a lot of issues of his own that he has to kind of deal with. I
0: think. And and again, you know, if he didn't get married to Alicia, he would never change as a character, and he would just stay the you know young twenty-something player that he has been. Um, Which he and, kind of is now still. Yeah, not
2: as much, but he yeah, has a little bit. I, th- I think he still is. If you are reading the modern Fantastic Four, it's like that's... Um, he he's not married, of course, anymore. Nope. Uh, Elijah is well; she's been out of the picture for a while. She's recently back, though. Yeah. Um, but she's not involved with Johnny in we that way. We thought she was dead a couple yeah. of times, and she's not. And uh, we're getting way off topic here. Yeah. <laughs> but but he's he they did that story where they go to that alien planet where he like is forced to be married to. He's, he's got a soulmate. Somebody else. And, and
0: you know, honestly, they haven't. Uh, she's come back to Earth with them, and they haven't spent. They haven't had the opportunity to spend a lot of time on on that but he actually does seem to care for her and and think hey maybe this soul thing soulmate thing is a you know something real and i gotta give it a shot
2: but up until that point he was still kind of the same ladies man and um and you know i think it's portrayed in hickman's run as well because he's like a rock star and you know all of that kind of stuff and that's just kind of part of his character and he has to have these relationships in order to grow as a character but then the writers kind of always set him back a little bit as well but
0: i think that um maybe we can just sort of end on this one here (laughs) (laughs) okay i think that while that might be true i think that he uh, as a character has a better understanding of of long-term relationships because of this and knows now going into relationships you know am i looking for a short term am I looking for a long term yeah and before it was just I'm just gonna date and we'll see where it goes and whatever and it ends up not lasting it as his character is you know quote burns hot and then dies out and then now he's um, he's actually considering more maybe I do want to settle down and these are not necessarily like one-time flings uh, I think that's happening more often with him yeah yeah it's tough yeah.
2: when you have a character that's been around for 70 years <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like you you want to grow the character and progress them as people, but not too much because you don't want them to get too different right. from who they uh, who they are and yeah. the character that we know and love.
0: But you also know that as a writer, you're not going to be on the book forever, right? So you want to sort of get that growth done that you see them the potential and in your, yeah, time. In your time. Yeah,
2: exactly. Okay, let's leave that behind us and move on to our issues. It's okay that we... we That's a space filler. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) makes this episode a little bit longer because it's only five issues we're talking about today, or six technically with the graphic novel. But let's start with the graphic novel. And the first thing I want to do is just talk a little bit about its placement in the epic collection as well. Was this a good way to start the book or would you have preferred it to be at the end or, or what? Um... Because this is the thing is like when you have regular issues with the epic collections, because they're collecting the whole thing from start to finish, uh, and a lot of these issues are so heavy in continuity, with these one-off stories like one-shots or even miniseries or annuals, uh, stuff that doesn't actually tie into the main feature, the, the main story, where do you place it in a big fat collection like this it has to kind of come at the end or at the beginning
0: now this is really tough because um we have the thing in his quote normal uh look Mm -hmm. and you can't necessarily put it in the previous epic collection because that one's already big enough and the dates don't line up very well and that kind of thing yeah but if you put it anywhere else in this He's and mutated. He's, he's already mutated. Right. Um, because the first issue in this in book starts that whole story off. So, so you can't put it in the middle or at the end. You have to put it at the beginning, but it's not really a great start to an epic collection. Right.
2: But the question also then I have is, does it really matter if you put it at the end? Because people reading this would obviously understand that this is a one-off, maybe out-of-continuity right. story. Does it Does it really matter if they put it at the end, even uh, though the thing is not. all rocky?
0: Maybe not. I don't know. Um, yeah. it, 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 it's a good question it's a tricky question and i uh, i just don't think it's a very strong start yeah
2: that's true okay so this is called hulk thing the big change and is written by jim starlin Uh, who, of course, is famous for Infinity Gauntlet and everything Thanos. Thanos and Silver Surfer. Yeah, all of that stuff. And then it's drawn by Bernie Wrightson, who is an early Bronze Age comic artist who did a lot of uh, like the horror kind of stories and and monster stuff. And so uh, really, really neat to see him do a thing in Hulk Story. He is a fantastic artist. Mm -hmm. And one of the treats also with uh, these graphic novels is they're not... Printed with the same four color pr- printing process uh, because they use a, they, their magazine, they just use a different yeah. format. So you get um, actual full color, um, the full color printing process. So you can do a it's lot really more nice. cool stuff with the coloring on yeah. it. And the coloring is credited to, um, Somebody, let's see. Bernie Wrightson. There you go. Bernie Wrightson's doing the coloring. Uh, that's very cool. I, I like the fact that he gets the opportunity to do that himself. Yeah, very I was nice. gonna say
0: that uh, the one one of the things that I really noticed about this uh, this book is that he has fabulous facial expressions, especially for the thing. And people often find it hard to do facial expressions for the thing because of the rocky surface and everything. Um, But he does it so well. Very well. Uh, Okay, and Jim Starlin, uh, is—he one
2: thing that he does really well is great action cosmic drama, but he also is a very funny guy. And if you read a lot of his Silver Surfer, he does go into some very amusing places with that title. Yeah,
0: there's the period where Silver Surfer, um, oh, maybe you might want to cut this out because I'm not sure if this is Jim Starlin or not. There's a period where Silver Surfer was like um, a captive slave on a planet with like all these uh, betting people Mm -hmm. and they make their wagers and things. And the one of the like the main, uh, I guess the host, uh, he's a really quirky, strange guy.
2: With the smiley face head. Yeah. Yeah. So did you know that that story is a rip on dc comics
0: i did not know that
2: yeah it's if you go back and and read it with the idea that dc comics is um are slave drivers and Mm. don't pay their their employees good wages or all this kind of stuff like it's very very interesting to read that commentary and i felt there was a little bit of that commentary in this story as well yeah
0: (laughs) So I, I, I was wondering about that.
2: Yeah, and I don't know the specifics, um, but yeah, there there is a lot of that kind of bureaucracy and dealing with all of that, um, the the legal issues behind the scenes with corporations and whatever and stealing ideas. And, it's yeah. Stealing, yeah, stealing ideas exactly. Yeah. I I would I and that's probably this is a little bit before that Silver Surfer story because that was in ninety one or ninety two I think, and um and this is nineteen eighty seven. So, Jim would have... This would have been before... Yeah, I can't remember the exact timeline of Jim Starlin's flipping back and forth between Marvel and DC, but it's around... He's probably feeling that. Or maybe it's a commentary on how Marvel was treating him at the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't did. know. Okay, but so the, the story... Let's see if I can get this. <laughs> uh, Thing and Hulk, both separately, are teleported to this planet called M- Maltriculon, and they are forced... To well, they're not forced. They're asked if they can deliver a legal summons to this shady corporation guy. And, um, but that guy has been kidnapped by another guy, so they don't really know where he is. And so the thing and the Hulk have to go f- tromping through the planet to try and find, find them. Uh, the whole story is told by the Watcher, he is the one who um who is telling and that's kind of makes it amusing as well because um uh, it's it plays kind of like a what if issue or something like that a little bit yeah um there is some comedy as well what does he say at the very beginning uh he says this is a great little little monologue here No empty boast is this. Maltriculon is a commercial free-orbiting planet whose speciality is change, this home of the universe's master terraformers, alchemists, and shape-changers. Here they all live, and from here they all hire out their talents. I know this because I am the Watcher. I see all and record it for future generations. Some believe that I am only interested in tales of cosmic proportions. This is not so. I am also a keeper of small stories, human stories. By the time you finish reading this tome, you, will re- you shall realize that I even save silly and trivial stories. Mm-hmm. No one's perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oops, I shouldn't have filed that one away.
2: Yeah, so so that um, comes in, like, page 8 or 9 of the story, yeah. after we see the teleportation of, of both the, of those people. Yeah. And we also get a little brief recap of both of their origin stories, which is nice. Uh, yeah, and that, this, is,
0: this is one of two origin recaps for the Fantastic Four in this volume.
2: <laughs> yeah, but that is uh, that sets the tone of this story as well. This is a silly and trivial story. It is so silly. Yeah. And then later on, he also... Uh, we The Watcher also gives us a little bit of exposition to tell us what is going on here. So here we go. Um, this, this, is, this is the Watcher speaking. This particular tale involves individuals other than the two earthling, earthling behemoths. Behold, Stambin Malilent, a minor bureaucrat of the Federation of Mal- Maltriculon, it was he who sent for the thing in the Hulk. The reason he has done so is that an earlier assignment he was uh, sorry, that earlier today he was given an assignment, his first assignment in fifteen maltriculon years. Stambian Mallet is or Stambian Mallet is an expert at going unnoticed and being obscure. He had hoped this talent would get him through his pension without ever having to assume any responsibility mm-hmm. for anything ever. His luck has run out. His name was chosen by lot to deliver a certain legal document. And here's where it gets confusing. The lo- document is a legal summons for one Mal Addy, a scientist who had discovered the latest big change in nutrition. Uh, the government wants to make sure that this will find that this new find will be marketed fairly. They have fears that it won't be because their reports have come to their attention that Mal Addy had been kidnapped by Nasty McBurn. Nasty is a mean-spirited gangster who works for the infamous Banger McCrusher Mob and Food Outlet. (laughs) This situation has upset Stan malik greatly. He has been forced to take on certain responsibilities which have put him in direct opposition with some of the worst cutthroats in the galaxy. This strikes him as a good way to get beaten to death. So, therefore, uh, or thus never reaching his all-important pension. (laughs) But Stambin Mallet has survived 15 years in the jungle of Maltriculon commerce and has learned many a trick during that time. Now he calls upon the one maneuver that has never failed him. It is time to delegate responsibility.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's why he's called the thing in the Hulk. Yeah, to delegate so- his responsibility to them. But the, the, the whole idea that um, his, his lease on life is just do your work. Don't be too good so that you'll be given responsibility, but don't be too bad that you'll be fired and you'll end up in a good place in the end. I
2: wonder if he's trying to poke fun at any specific editors at yeah maybe marvel or dc it's like man that editor really should have stepped in but they just like let anything go but now that editor is forced to like fire somebody but the editor doesn't want to and so the editor is going to get someone else to do that or or it's
0: like (laughs) oh you know we got this big story coming up and uh you know you you haven't actually been the editor for one of these big stories before so why don't you take that one so
2: yeah, there's definitely, I think, something going on behind the scenes that Jim Starlin is upset about and is taking it out in the form of this graphic novel here, and it makes for a very entertaining story. I yeah. thought
0: it's just so weird. Um, but I, I also wonder if, like, the gang, um, the gang and the gang members all have a Mick MC in their name, mm-hmm. and so I'm wondering if uh, this whole story maybe also partially. Um, is aimed at mcdonald's
2: right because it's the mcbanger mob and And, food outlets and so they they've come up with a new a new change um that is going to revolutionize the taste of food or something and uh (laughs) spoiler alert at the end of the issue we find out it's just a barbecue sauce.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's just... it, it's a new sauce. And they wanna make yeah. sure
2: that there's someone has a patent on it so yeah. it's not going to fall in the wrong hands. Uh, I, I think what, it's really funny.
0: Yeah, one one more piece of commentary that is, is built into the story is that um they know of the thing in the Hulk because they capture um earth uh transmissions, right? So like yeah. and, and they say like the greatest horror show that they ever watch is Quote, the 6 o'clock news. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, you could <clears> certainly <throat> call the 6 o'clock news
2: horror story, especially in 2020 here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so let's see. Uh, I found that the Hulk and the Thing... Oh, first of all, the Hulk gets given some sort of, um, I don't know, some sort of medication to lower his temper so he's actually manageable. Yes. So he, he talks with the Thing, and while he doesn't have his intelligence he is. He still speaks in his sentences and comes up with some
0: ideas and stuff. Yeah, um, and, that, and, I, and I feel like that is, while the story is, is fun and it's pretty good, um, it still feels really constrained and rushed. And that's one point where I think that they just sort of toss in, you know, one of these magical plot points to, to make it work. Another one was, um, oh, well, you need to find uh, Mal Addy. So I'll just like, beam the location into your brains (laughs) and then they just know where to go. Right.
2: Well I think also the the reason for the Hulk is to stay in continuity with what's happening in the rest of the Marvel Universe because he was going through a very savage time Mm -hmm. at at this time and I think they just needed to tone that down for the story uh, and give an explanation of why he's acting the way he is but I still thought that Hulk acted as the Hulk would. Yeah. And the thing still acted as the thing would. Totally. They just were written a little goofier than usual. Yeah.
0: And they uh they didn't have any sort of reason to fight each other.
2: Right. Uh, and the the thing is played as the straight man in this one. And the Hulk, <laughs> especially with the, the hat. The <laughs> he, hat. He they need a disguise so the Hulk just squashes an alien and puts it on his an head. Alien and, squid. Yeah. And, and
0: and then he has to like punch it out when it starts to wake up again. Yeah. He's like, Come
2: <laughs> back here, hat <laughs> And so I just found some of that humor. Like it was actually really funny. And Bernie Wrightson is actually really good at portraying the comedy in picture form because comedy is actually really hard to do in comics because you don't get the you don't get the inflection of the voice mm-hmm. to portray your jokes. Yeah, it is specifically body language right. um, that that especially with the Hulk and that really comes across well here. And, Not and, everybody can do that. And
0: even body language is. Uh, interpreted through the motion of the body and you can't get that cool. in picture form
2: right yeah and the comedy also is like the, a lot of sitcoms rely on a laugh track to make things funnier right. or the the, or the music or cues funny. and yeah but you don't get any of that it is sp- it's really specifically the artist's job to make it funny and bernie is really good at that i think <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah uh, other than the fact that it starts off the whole epic collection on a really odd note I enjoyed this graphic novel. Yeah. I did.
0: (laughs) Oh, uh, you know, um, on page 9, I think 9 and 10, there's uh, something that could actually give uh, uh, some evidence that this is aimed at DC, and that's that there's a Superman reference.
2: Okay. I didn't notice that. What is the Superman uh, reference? So
0: there's the guy who's building the giant thing statue in the middle of Utah, which is just bizarre. Yes. (laughs) It's (laughs) like, uh, and somehow this has cost him two marriages, it says. Because he spends all of his time right, making the statue. But, like, why would somebody marry him? Knowing know he's in the, what, the middle of the, the statue. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so he's just completed this masterpiece. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, he hears this like big crashing noise coming toward him. And he looks. And uh, it's talking about faster than a bullet, stronger than a train. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. High, and then he goes... Um, up there in the sky I don't believe it maybe it's a bird no no such luck maybe it's a plane no planes don't just bounce like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah I forgot about that moment that's that's funny yeah but it's very strange the way that it's done because um, the first part just the the grammar is odd it says says, um, more faster than a bullet and much more stronger than a train Because they wanted to, to say it's not
2: faster than a speeding bullet, it's more faster yeah, than a right. speeding this, bullet. Like, this is the, the than... Hulk can beat Superman,
0: no that's problem. Right. Yeah, this is better than that. <laughs>
2: uh, okay, well, why don't we get into our actual issues. Yes. Fantastic Four proper. Uh, starting with issue number 308, and we are introduced to a brand new villain. I think this is the first new villain that Steve Englehart has come up with for the Fantastic Four. His name is Facade. Yes. And he is a Middle Eastern oil tycoon who he kind of controls the stock market based he's, on his own purchases and, and sales. Right.
0: So he's the oil minister of a country called Akiria. And he has sort of manipulated the stocks through convincing people... Um, to buy and sell shares and, and that kind of thing, like fr- the, the oil representatives from the other countries. So he's sort of manipulating those people to manipulate the value in his favor.
2: Right. And I don't know if this is a ripped from the headlines kind of a story. Uh, I have no idea of the the cultural relationship between America and the Middle East in terms of oil in 1987. So, But it, it seems so specific that it may be something that people would have related to at this time. Um,
0: well, it mentions OPEC, um, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting and uh, exp- uh, export Petroleum Exporting Companies, and that is a real group. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah. So I do
2: have a clip of Steve Englehart come, talking about the creation of this character from an interview that I did with him a couple of years back. So I will insert a little bit there.
1: Well, this was the last half of the 80s. Yep. Um, Saudi Arabia was, um, you know, an oil, uh, you know, oil for cars and gasoline and stuff. That had sort of come into people's consciousnesses in the 80s. Right. And, uh, you know, I just thought, well, there's, you know, there's an interesting thing. And I, I will say about facade, the only thing I'll say there. Somebody said to me, it didn't immediately cross my mind, but somebody said, you know, uh, people in Saudi Arabia wear suits. They don't wear, you know, um, their traditional headdress, traditional hooded. I was going to say burkas, but that's not it. But, you know, and so I said and I remember I said in the art directions when we were creating the character, I said, don't put him, you know, in a burka. And And then they did. Well, I don't know Burka, but I mean, don't put him in the traditional thing, and then and then it kind of went there. But otherwise, it's like Doctor Doom is the head of Latveria um, over on the on the uh, master of kung fu side of things. I've I've always said that I see Fu Manchu as kind of the Dr. Doom of, of the Chinese, not yeah. the representative of the Chinese people. He's a supervillain. He just happens to be Chinese. So facade was a supervillain. He just happened to be, um, you know, Middle Eastern. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't think we were big fans of the Saudi Arabians at that time, but I mean, you know, I wasn't trying to do anything particularly political there. I just thought, here's a part of the world that hasn't been used yet and, yeah. and they could have they could have their own supervillain you
0: know one interesting thing about facade is that this is his first appearance and almost his last appearance it looks like he's only ever been in these three issues of fantastic four okay and then two issues of a union jack series in 2006 uh Uh, was that 2006 around civil war or
2: something um, no, the 2006 isn't civil war. No,
0: uh, there were there were a bunch of miniseries on these um, on on these UK characters, uh, probably to do with like copyright yeah. renewal and that kind of thing. But yeah, so he he showed up in one of those. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he he was helping um, basically like a offshoot of of AIM called RAID, uh, radically advanced ideas in destruction or something like that. <laughs>
2: uh, well, I feel like facade is kind of an out of date character. Well, first actually I should explain that uh, he's he comes out of a TV. He like at one point he stabbed the TV camera and the circuitry sent supercharged his, to him. Yeah, yeah, and then he became uh, pure energy that travels through TVs. Right and i feel like he's an out of date character for a couple of reasons one tvs don't act like this anymore right. with the sort of the static and the the you know the vertical hold or whatever that yeah. they kind of portray him as here so that that's one thing, and then the other thing is just kind of the portrayal of middle middle Eastern people or whatever right. is is something that I think people are a <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> little they step on <laughs> they step on uh, eggshells around that these days, so they wouldn't want to portray them like this
0: yeah the uh I believe in the union Jack issues he regains a solid uh, more normal form oh, okay
2: yeah. Um, the the big story here is that the Fantastic Four are called to investigate this facade guy and they eventually have a a, um, a fight against him in the TV station and Johnny is knocked off of the top of the building unconscious so he can't flame on and save himself and Miss Marvel goes to save him. She leaps out of the building to catch him as he falls but then at the last second can't stand the thought of Actually catching him because he's a man and she has these issues with her PTSD, and so uh, and so it ends up not saving him. One of the big gripes that people have about this period of Fantastic Four, and we heard this in the comments, is that uh, uh, the Sharon—or no, I guess we didn't hear it in the comments—but the Sharon goes on and on about how she doesn't like to be touched by men, and it becomes kind of annoying mm-hmm. uh and overbearing and there's a couple and even ben makes one comment was like she's gonna drive me crazy with all this talk yeah. at one point and there's a couple things to be said about that one is that you can't just turn off a psychological issue
0: Especially one as traumatic as this.
2: Yeah, she's definitely suffering some PTSD in which she needs some sort of counseling that she's not getting. And uh, you can't expect someone to just snap out of it. Like, that's not how it works. Um, The other thing to keep in mind also is just, this is the way the comics were written back then, is that in order to keep readers up to date you have to restate things in every single issue right so you never know
0: when you're going to get a new reader yeah
2: and so yes we are going to find out about Sharon's issues with men uh, in every single issue because that's just how they wrote things back
0: then and I have to I have to give Steve Englehart some props here because he's trying to address a very serious issue uh, and that is the lasting impact that rape has on its victims and it's not something that's talked about very much and i think he's trying to address that but either he doesn't know how to address it or he's playing through the thing who clearly doesn't really know how to address it and Sharon herself doesn't know how to address it, and that just makes it really kind of muddled. And there are some sort of mixed messages going on through uh, through these characters.
2: Yeah, and I can understand thing like if he's really writing how thing would relate to it, and like because he can't relate to it, he yes. doesn't know anything about this. Like at one point, he's like, "Look, lady, men. Some uh, men didn't hurt you. Some men hurt you. Yeah. But Johnny didn't hurt you. Yeah. So you should have saved him. Yeah. But like that, and you just
0: gotta toughen up and shape up and And, and that's very, that's a very like Ben Grimm-esque type of way to handle things. Yeah,
2: but it's not like, you know, psychological issues are often not logical. Yeah. Like she is not thinking rationally rationally because of a traumatic experience. It's like you wouldn't tell a shell-shocked army vet to just snap out of your PTSD Um, just like hey there are no guns here you don't have to be worried you know that kind of thing like there's no bombs going off stop acting like you're acting and it's like no they have to work through the the horrific stuff that they went through Mm -hmm.
0: so I mean like I said uh, it's I think it's it's admirable that he's trying and for whatever reason it's just not really yeah. coming together. Uh,
2: and so yeah, one of the reasons why Thing brings her on the team is so that you know he would have his companion because they have a great relationship in the ongoing series and he wants to rekindle that and stuff but now she's not the way he wants her to be so he's mm-hmm. getting frustrated with that
0: right. Yeah. So, so in this issue, Ben makes some very strange leadership uh, decisions. Uh, for one, he is very reckless with the fantastic car. Right. Yeah. They, they don't take the side pods at all. They just take the front and the back, which is kind of weird. But
2: I think that's because Crystal and... Oh, right. They don't know how to fly it. They haven't been trained on that yeah. kind of
0: stuff. Also, it might be that Reed and Sue took some of them. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah I never thought of that. But um, uh, anyway, he he flies it into the side of this building, like right through the wall. He's like, we got to get there <laughs> quickly. And so he just flies it into the side of the wall. But it's like, where... How did you know that that was the right room? Right, and, yeah. <laughs> and, then, um, and then he tells... Uh, Crystal and Johnny to watch the reporter Dunbar um, and keep an eye on him, and he and uh, Sharon were gonna go to uh, Acuria to see if they can find facade or track down some sort of trace of him um, but then they all leave the uh, the TV station together, so who's watching Dunbar <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, you know this is uh, uh, this is an example of um, been starting to feel the weight of leadership and understand uh what the decisions that reed made a little better have a little more empathy for him
2: yeah and i'm glad he's making these mistakes because he was thrown into this with very little training and such yeah. and he just doesn't know how to do it and he's not a good leader <laughs> no he's not uh, i mean his first thing to to do when he was in charge was to bring on two characters one woman to make him feel good and one woman to make johnny feel bad and like right. that's those are terrible decisions that's terrible.
0: To make. team dynamic aside that's still a bad decision but yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So, but, you know, luckily we see the team sort of start to gel a little bit better. But then, you know, again, having um, uh, the decision to split up into these two groups was Mm -hmm. also motivated by in the same way. Yeah. So he can be close to Sharon and so that Crystal can be close to Johnny. And that's also not a great way to do things.
2: And man, that comes up. It comes to a head in this next issue.
0: (laughs) Right. So issue 309 is called Danger on the Air. We get a quick recap of the last issue because this clearly continues. And then we have uh, The Thing and Miss Marvel as they go to Akira to meet with the king and the American ambassador. And we also have uh, Johnny and uh, Crystal and Alicia back in uh, New York who are just sort of hanging out waiting for facade to strike again
2: and their dinner conversation is really interesting they they have dinner together Johnny invites Crystal over and the words he uses are um, I figured rather than leave her to grab an early lunch alone from the FF's kitchen we could make it a threesome and like Johnny Johnny what? Johnny you're that just... is so old Johnny and uh, that's just like if, if Alicia wasn't already wondering like, like there's just yep. the <laughs> little yep. subtle innuendos there that uh, she does probably doesn't appreciate Mm -hmm. and uh and so when they're having their dinner it comes out in the conversation that uh that crystal was actually the one who broke up with johnny and alicia had always thought that it was johnny that broke up broke broke it off with crystal which means that possibly she wonders if johnny still has feelings for crystal which of course
0: he does right yeah And so, as part of this conversation, we have a flashback to Fantastic Four number 45, which is where they first meet Crystal and the Inhumans. Um, We also get a flashback of Johnny and Alicia early in their relationship, but this is not from any previous issue. This is new material here. Uh, Both this issue and the last issue were drawn by John Buscema
2: and uh he changes the way that he draws facade a little bit uh, in the previous one he was very stiff and almost kind of two-dimensional he looked like a 1980s video game type of a character mm-hmm. and in this issue uh, he renders him a little bit more realistically he's got different you can see him from different angles different view, points of view and he just looks more like a full person rather than a static
0: image yeah they also change his color quite a bit too right Yes. And, um, you know, if you've never had one of those really old TVs, there's a there's a tint knob and actually there's probably a tint setting still on your modern TVs. Um, and if you play around with the tint setting, then, you know, you can see the, the, the colors the, the main color of everything sort of uh, cycle through uh, like a rainbow. And you have to try and find the right tone that goes around with the with the picture. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what they're probably doing here with the with the coloring. Uh, what some young readers, uh, younger readers of this, may not uh, realize is uh, how Johnny and Crystal stop Facade. Uh, they are having a lot of difficulty, and then Crystal's like, wait a minute. Um, I'll make some clouds. You shoot some heat up into the sky. You know, we're going to make a huge thunderstorm, and then he just sort of, like, fits his out. And this is because back in the early 80s, most television, even if it was cable TV, in order to go from like uh, across large distances was uh, transmitted along radio waves and radio waves unlike like uh satellite the way we beam to satellites now and stuff radio waves are disrupted by heavy cloud cover Um, because, I I don't know all the the science here, but uh, based on the way that they either reflect um, off of the clouds or penetrate through the clouds or whatever, um, it just creates a lot of interference. And so they create this large thunderstorm so that there's interference between facade and wherever he is, you know, quote, broadcasting from.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's another instance of this being a very outdated character. And can you imagine, like, someone like, Kamala Khan if she appears now <laughs> if fascade ever appeared now uh, and she fought him he, she would never come up with an idea like this because she's never experienced a TV like that before yeah, I'd be <laughs> like
0: you know where's the HDMI cable yeah. <laughs> uh, the, one thing that that was kind of uh, confusing to me about this uh, about this issue was the back and forth between uh, the narration being in text boxes and being in sort of the negative space between panels, uh, because if I am reading text that continues from a box, um, I'm going to look for it in the next box yeah, and not, you know, I'm not going to expect it to be in white space above the next panel. Uh, for example, on page 93, uh, in the second panel, we get a, um, some narration about uh, Miss Marvel, and then when we go into the flashback, we've got the text above the the flashback bubble, and then it's in a box, and then from the box that continues in the fourth panel up to above the fifth panel, and then back into a box in the fifth panel.
2: Right, yeah. Yeah, it is kind of back and forth, but it still flows. I mean, you can still follow where...
0: It does. It just took me a second because, like, especially the fourth to fifth panel, Going from a box, I expected to go to a box. Yeah, and then the sentence didn't really make sense. And so then I realized, oh, the text is up above. Right. So then we reach the end of this issue, and uh, and we have the Thing and Miss Marvel who are uh, who discover a space shuttle in Akiria, even though you know they're not really known for their space program. And Facade catches up to them because when Johnny and Crystal uh, shorted him out, he reappeared in Akiria and captures Ben and Sharon okay and that leads us to issue number
2: 310 and uh, this one's called things to come and if you look in the corner box um, the corner box has the new fantastic four I don't know why the last one had Reed and Sue in it because issue number 308 had Miss Marvel and Crystal in it yeah and they've been in it for a while that's true so maybe this actually is not a new thing uh, for this corner box I just wanted to point out hmm. that those yep. heads are the correct heads this yeah, time that's good Uh, This issue is uh, drawn by Keith Pollard. But because of Joe Sinnott's inks, you'd never know that there was a difference. Uh, I mean, you can still tell that these are not John Buscema faces and such. but
0: It's got the continuity there.
2: Joe Sinnott adds so much to just the line quality and the the shading and the way things are drawn uh, that there's such a a sense of continuity in the artwork between John Buscema and Keith Pollard. It's really good.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we get on the on the front cover, we get our first uh, glimpse of the new thing, even though we don't know that yet. The thing right. is on the cover, yep. but he looks different. Oh, spoilers. I don't know how I feel about this. On the one hand, it's like, I guess maybe you're trying to attract sales because, oh, what happened to the thing? But on the other hand, like this is the big point of this issue. No, I don't think it is. No,
2: I think the big point of the issue is that Miss Marvel changed, which you don't get that on the cover. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So we are taken right into the middle of the scene here, where the thing and Miss Marvel are captured by Facade and the King and the American and the American ambassador. ambassador. They're in cahoots, and that's a that's a big deal. Because they want uh, the Americans want to test um, uh, the rocket ships on their land because they can't
0: get anywhere with NASA. Uh, it, it's more like if they were to use existing shuttles to send things up into space, they'd have to refit them to meet modern um, standards, and that costs way too much money.
2: So go to where the
0: the rules are lax. Right, and then we'll shoot off our our old uh, garbage space shuttles and into space (laughs) and then yeah
2: (laughs) and that's what they do or like at least that's what uh the thing and miss marvel do because they commandeer the spaceship in in an attempt to get away and blast off into space where they have a big space battle with a a projection of facade who's trying to control the ship. It's kind of a little ridiculous. So,
0: so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a satellite and he sort of beams himself to the satellite and starts fighting. And, and it's, it's weird. Um, because why are there missiles on this space shuttle? (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, the other part is that this satellite that facade has taken over is supposedly part of the star Wars defenses, which if you don't know is the nickname for the proposed Strategic Defense Initiative, which is a satellite-based anti-nuclear missile system. And it was supposed to have like plasma and particle beam weapons that could shoot out nuclear weapons that were going to threaten the United States. I really felt the
2: influence of Star Wars in this issue here with the space battle at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the era of Return of the Jedi and last Starfighter, and all of these kind of space things that are happening in in uh, the movies right now and uh anytime i see space battles like this it's like yeah i feel the star wars influence
0: yeah Uh, this issue is just so awkward (laughs) yeah um a lot of it is very awkward because um on the one hand we do get what the thing was looking for um you know him trying to get back with sharon and uh trying to cause some uh some strife between alicia and johnny and crystal um but then there are other uh implications and other consequences to this as well um with sharon sort of being in a traumatic man-hating phase because of what happened to her and yeah just all sorts of things just make all of the interactions very awkward yeah in the end ben
2: and sharon share a kiss which mm-hmm. is kind of awkward as well yeah. uh because this whole time she doesn't see him as a man right because he's a he physically looks like a monster right
0: he is a monster who is a friend yeah and and like that's it And she can differentiate that because of the way that they look right that, that he looks yeah and so, and, and then uh, Crystal and Johnny are hanging out at the Four Freedoms Plaza, and Alicia comes in and brings them sandwiches. And, oh man, this is so <laughs> passive aggressive. <laughs> <and, yeah, laughs> Alicia goes, uh, or Johnny goes, uh, You didn't have to do that. We've got food at the FF Plaza. And she goes, Sure, but I was thinking how boring it must be for you sitting here with Crystal oh I'm sorry I didn't mean the way that it sounded <laughs> oh Crystal are you standing right there <laughs>
2: yeah. and she's like I know just how you meant it Alicia yeah. like there's uh,
0: so much <laughs> oh man so awkward and then and then Crystal yeah. pulls out the business card of the real estate agent that she's been seeing um, you know, or not that she did see she only she had a fling with the guy but right. she hasn't seen him on a regular basis right and actually she's been forbidden to see him by the Inhumans yeah but she pulls out his business card she's thinking about it hmm yeah but
2: that's the drama, the melodrama, right? Yeah. That's that's what we, Tom DeFalco always says, that we come for the action, but we stay for the melodrama. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what brings people back.
0: Right. So, Sharon and, and Ben get out into space okay, but in the battle, their shuttle is clearly damaged. And when they head back to Earth, they're bombarded by cosmic rays.
2: Yeah, a very familiar scene for anyone yes. who has...
0: Uh, been a fan of fantastic four yep they crash land and we see the shadowy spiky figure of ben in his new form emerge and we get this giant splash page of his new look and that would be a great place to end this
2: yeah but yeah it would be a great cliffhanger right there. oh yeah
0: and but then you flip the page and we find in another splash page that uh that sharon has also mutated and that is the end of this issue um what's interesting i think here is there's a theory that is sometimes kind of mentioned in the comics and sometimes not. Uh, There's a theory that the Fantastic Four's powers were determined by their personalities or their feelings about themselves at the time they were hit by the cosmic rays. And I think that this supports that theory quite a bit. uh, Because Thing was feeling like he would never be seen as a man again. Um, He's just the Thing. He's unlovable. People can't get close to him. And he needs to also toughen up in order to become the leader he needs to be. And that's what happens to his form. He gets spiky, so people can't get close to Literally him. Literally can't is, get close yeah, to him. exactly. He is no longer... He's he's further from being a man than he ever has been before. And he's now stronger and tougher than he ever was before. Um, and Sharon, she desired to be tougher and stronger. Somebody who could stand up to men. um and, but also someone who wouldn't be desirable to men, right? No, exactly. Also. She she wouldn't be desirable, so they wouldn't want to. They wouldn't lust after her, and they wouldn't want to, you know, attack her or rape her or anything like that. Um, she saw herself as ugly and being unworthy of love or unable to be loved because of this traumatic experience, and that's what she turns into. And yeah, uh, yeah And it, it's very, it's it's really interesting because in the next issue, she was saying that. Even though I had these, um, uh, the this this experience and these these thoughts, I could take some sort of solace. I could uh, in my in my beauty and my looks and know that I am still a beautiful person, even if my inside is ugly or something like that. Right. And 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 now that's been taken away as well.
2: Yeah, that's actually an interesting conversation that happens at the beginning of the next issue. So let's go yeah. on to three eleven. Uh, it's called "I Want to Die," and Uh, And the opening here is just her trying to kill herself over and over again, but not being successful because she is now a thing. This is
0: quite a morbid issue in that sense. And it's a very um, jarring way to start this issue. I can't imagine what it'd be like if this is the first issue that, you know, a parent bought for their kids or something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) and you know, I'm I'm kind of surprised, probably because she can't kill herself. I'm surprised that this got past a lot of the censors, but. Uh,
2: so I asked that quest- question specifically to oh, Steve yeah. Englehart. So I'll play a clip of him uh, talking about the uh, this situation here.
1: Over in the West Coast Avengers. Sorry, I just wrote a lot of stuff, but. Yep. And I did a I did a sequence where Hank Pym was going to commit suicide because he felt like he had you know he would tried. 43 different superhero identities and they, none of them had worked and so um, <clears throat> he was going to do himself in and that was a very popular run. People liked that. Right. So you know, so suicide was not off the table by any means um, and again um, you know I've been talking about how much she liked it but she, you know, the, the transition was, was a shock to the system and and um, you come back to the fact that she's playing off Ben, who is so solid and so, you know, understanding, you know, he, he, he's a good guy. And, um, so him getting her through that, um, seemed like a thing. And, and no, this was, I mean, we were still, we were getting pretty close to editorial interference, but we weren't there yet. So, you know, Okay, it seemed like a good idea. and I did it, and nice. there was no pushback. So yeah, this is really interesting
0: with uh, with Sharon because she is a very divided character, even in herself. Um, while she's not looking for a relationship now, um, and she didn't uh, doesn't feel like she can get past these emotions of her experiences, she does hold out hope that one day she can become not that she can. Um, uh, you know, get past uh, the the traumatic experience of being raped, but that she can become strong enough to trust her own ability to defend herself, which might allow her to have a relationship again right and that 's a very interesting um, portrayal, one that I would never think of um, uh, that um, the way to get past this is to just become strong enough to defend yourself, and then it doesn 't matter what happened because it 's not going to happen again. Um, and uh, yeah, and just the, the the tension there between I want a relationship, but I can't have one, but maybe I can and uh, even within herself, um, uh, But now because she's become a monster, that's clearly gone. And so that's that's another reason why she wants to kill herself.
2: Yeah, and Ben tries to reason with her. It's like I was a, I'm a monster and you liked me. So someone will like you, too. And it's like, no, that's not the same thing. It's totally different for women.
0: And you know what? Yeah. In the way that uh, our society is set up, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. And it, maybe it shouldn't be, but yeah.
2: So this issue here... Uh, th- the reason why they're in the middle of the jungle here is because they've crash landed. The the, the rocket right. ship crash landed to Earth and thank goodness they were things because they wouldn't have survived otherwise. Right. And, you know, when you crash in the jungle, it's you automatically end up in Wakanda. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what happens, yeah. you know. So Black Panther shows up um, a little while in the, into this issue here. Um, a lot actually happens in this issue mm-hmm. uh, because we have several pages that deal with with Miss Marvel turning into this thing yep. uh, we, have, we have
0: we have a very very quick recap of the origin of the Fantastic Four here's right. the second one for this volume
2: Johnny goes to uh, the Middle East to look for for Ben yep. and 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 Sharon and and Crystal meets up with Norm and we'll get yep. into that in a second here yep. and they have the, and Ben and Sharon have this big battle with this Bright red uh, robot vibranium thing. robot creature, and then to top it all off, Black Panther comes in and shows that Doctor Doom is in Latveria <laughs> too. Like, there's it's there's a jam-packed. lot going on here. Yeah. Uh, but they but Steve Englehart manages to give appropriate time to each of these scenarios. Very well done. Um, the only thing that's unnecessary, I think, is the fact that Johnny went to the Middle East. Right. Because they spend one page on it. And later on, they just call him and say, hey, he's over in Wakanda. And go pick him like, up. <laughs> they didn't even need to show that. So, yeah. Uh, but, but I guess they yeah, wanted to show that, that know, he was concerned. They're, and they're
0: concerned and they're doing something. Yeah,
2: for sure. But it also got Johnny out of, maybe this is the why. It got Johnny oh, yes. out of the picture. So he's not snooping around because Crystal is going to meet up with Norm. Right. And that's probably why they needed Johnny to be uh, nowhere obtainable at the time. Right. Uh, so yeah, they have this meeting uh, with with Norm. They bring him back. We haven't seen him since the uh, Scarlet Vision and Scarlet Witch maxi series, right? And it's an interesting conversation because she's like, uh, we could start something up again. I don't care what the Inhumans say. Like we should be together. Yeah, and um, so
0: so also um, the divorce is uh, approved or or put forth or ratified or whatever by inhuman law not not human courts because they were married by inhumans, and inhumans say that they can't be divorced right or at least not yet
2: yeah And so Norm assumes that she's back with the Human Torch because that's why she's on the Fantastic Four. And Mm -hmm. and her reaction is like, Johnny, but Johnny Storm's married. (laughs) And and then he says, well, so were you, Crystal, when we hooked up. (laughs) It's like, touche. (laughs) (laughs) That is not a good excuse, lady. Yeah, and he kind of walks off and doesn't want to have anything to do with her. It's like, yep, there we go.
0: Yeah, this has already caused enough trouble in my life. Yep. Yeah.
2: And uh, he walks away, and uh, Roberta's just sitting there behind the desk, and there's this big portrait of Reed Richards on the wall, (laughs) staring at them. (laughs) It's weird. He's got a smile, but you know he's disapproving of this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) You you know it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so should we talk about Dr. Doom? Sure. It's so strange to see him pop up here because, uh, yeah. I mean, we it hasn't been that long since we saw him because we saw him in the annual, uh, in the previous volume. Yeah. And, but now he's trying to get Black Panther to help him out, trying to appeal to one ruler to another. Well,
0: not just that, but he's looking for a place to... He's looking for a refuge. He's looking for a place to stay for a bit. But
2: he's also looking for resources that to too, try yes. and help overthrow Kristoff and get right. his kingdom back. And he thinks that Black Panther can help him out right. so in the exchange first, for some robotic for technology. technology. Yeah.
0: So the first place he goes is to uh, Black Panther, first of all, um, because he is not allowed in his country. Um, I think he figures that Black Panther will be maybe the most hospitable to him, one king to another, Yeah, um, which is true. And uh, and then they sort of start having these negotiations. Um, it's it's interesting. Doom has a, a conversation with Sharon, and he says a lot of things that I think are similar to what Ben said, but because he's much more um, eloquent in his delivery, he's a lot more confident. Um, uh, he has a lot more conviction when he says it. Um, it's it's a little more effective. Well, the reason it's effective is because he's trying to recruit her right. to destroy right. the Fantastic but, but I mean, Four. But the point is, I mean that that part wasn't effective. Um, but but the other part, I think, was um, and I and it's just he's much more charismatic than Ben is. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. true. So even though he says almost uh, or very very similar types of things um, about you know uh, you are strong, you can just like get past this and and toughen up and whatever. Um, she's more willing to believe him because of the charisma. Yeah, and he's got nothing to lose by saying this to
2: her. Right, like she just feels like Ben's trying to just say all the right things so that she'll get with him. She, yeah. yeah, well, no, because she's a, he's a friend or, or and that, yeah, whatever. But Doom or both doesn't uh, doesn't feel that way at no, all. I mean, no. he is saying trying to say the right things so that she will manipulate her that's Fantastic right. Four, but she doesn't yeah. have any of it. Uh, yeah, and that's that is a good little point for her to accept kind of accept her role in the fantastic four as well so she's willing to um kind of push through her current state a little
0: bit to to move on and uh, be part of the fantastic four again so even even though she doesn't betray them uh, and join doom here she does later on, and we've talked about this in one of our other episodes on right, um, in Walt volume 20 or 21, yeah yeah. Uh, the new Fantastic Four yes. volume, right, because uh, in issue 350, Doom promises to change her back, and so she does join with Doom in order to uh, set up a trap for the Fantastic Four yeah, the seeds yeah. of
2: that are planted right here in this issue, that's, nice. yeah, That didn't realize that, and that's two writers uh, doing like, that's Walt Simonson carrying on those threads, so that's right. kind of cool, yeah and that's like 40 issues later. That's, that's a <laughs> yeah. sizable amount of that's time. That's a couple years. Yep. Okay, so moving on to our last issue of this episode, Fantastic Four number 312. Um, this is a Fall of the Mutants tie-in. Mm-hmm. It's not really a tie-in. No, though. it's more like an epilogue. And it's just um, a guest appearance. Yeah.
0: And so uh, very quickly, Fall of the Mutants was a story that spans, uh, that spanned X-Men, X-Factor, and New Mutants. It emerged as a result of the Mutant Registration Act and growing um, hatred or disdain or change in public opinion uh, uh, toward mutants. And Fall of the Mutants actually contains a lot of major events in the X-Men's life. Um, Storm regains her powers. It's the first appearance of Archangel and all of the, um, Apocalypse's horsemen. Caliban becomes uh, the new Death. So he goes from his scrawny little um, uh, form to his like big, hulking, powerful form. And Doug Ramsey dies. Right.
2: Uh, and also the beast goes through his transformation. Right.
0: Yes. So, So he's infected by pestilence in X Factor. And the way that this infection works is that the more he uses his strength, the dumber he gets. And we see that quite a bit in this issue.
2: Yeah, he gets paired up with Sharon just by circumstance because Doom uses both of them as hostages. And it's a it's a cool conversation because the Beast uh, we're very not familiar with seeing him in this form. He he speaks like a child. Yeah. He's kind of
0: regressed to that that far. He's he still has quite a bit of intelligence. Um, when he starts talking about like neutrinos and stuff like that. But he doesn't necessarily fully understand it, and he approaches it in a very childlike way. And he realizes, and it's kind of like talking to Franklin, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But he he
2: realizes that something's going on with him that's bad, but he also realizes that something's going on with Sharon. And he says, something's wrong with me, and every time I use my strength, uh, I get stronger, and I get dumber and dumber uh and he's, and then Sharon says we all got problems beast and he he yells problems you stupid monster you can do something to make sure we don't have problems all the people in the world will be uh, will be heard of Doom uses that neutral thing. He'll do something. And, he, and she's not willing to do anything because she's so self-absorbed in her own depression at the moment. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, even if it'll make me dumber, I'm going to do something because it's the right thing to do. And she realizes, right. no, 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 I know what I need to do.
0: Right. I've got to do it because, you know, he could lose his intelligence to the point where he's a vegetable. Yeah. And he's willing to do that.
2: So I like that. And that mm-hmm. kind of uh, yeah. shows her... Uh, again, is a good progression, building on what she learned from Doom in the last issue. Right. Uh, that she needs to be a more active participant of the team now, and yeah. um, you know she's going co- going to accept who she is or what what she looks like for now, and move on a little bit.
0: I find it interesting how quickly Black Panther was able to whip up a costume for her. <laughs> <laughs> he had uh, he has de- designers that do that for him. That's right.
2: His sister Shuri. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Okay, so in this issue also, Doom manages to get into the back door of Reed's secret lab. (laughs) He has his own secret elevator that he apparently made in issue number 305. There's a weird note in in the editorial box that just says, um, uh, well, let me just find that here, where Doom is saying, uh, I caused a whole range of devices to be secreted into these walls... I monitored everything here until, I, until my overthrow, but if I can't benefit from them now, Christoph shall not. And then Ralph Macchio says at the bottom, did you realize what was going on in FF305? The $64,000 question.
0: I I didn't I totally didn't.
2: And I looked back at that issue and I still don't know. Like <laughs> it doesn't really give you any clues. It's just at one point at the end of the issue Doom just shows up there mm-hmm. and he has his reasons which are told in the annual number 20, but Or you think they're told in the annual? Right, but we have it, it's like it's not obvious, Ralph. No. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs>
0: That's really his way of saying, we're just going to make this the case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right.
2: Ralph puts a lot of editorial boxes in these comments. There were a lot, yeah. He really likes to point out this, this, the, the references to things in the past. Well, so do I. So I
0: appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, for example, uh, the, uh, uh, the X-Men or X-Factor, sorry, are in a parade. Uh, and Black Panther uh, says, oh, there's something going on. What is this? Like, clearly, it's not just us. And so his ambassador says, oh, well, there there was an attack from an alien spacecraft and uh, X-Factor stopped it. And this uh, alien spacecraft is um, Apocalypse's ship. right? Named ship, (laughs) which the X-Men would eventually um, make their base of operations. X-Factor. Or sorry, X-Factor would make their base of operations. Yeah. For many years. Yeah. So that's the indication here that this is right at the end of Fall of the Mutants, um, this is after the events uh, have taken place. Dr. Doom asks to hitch a ride to America. Because um, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's where he's going to uh, look for his next person to pull into his
2: schemes. Well, I figured he wanted to find Reed's Secret Lab and use the technology there to help him out as well. Well, there's that,
0: yes. Um, but uh, anyway, he, he wants to come to America. And so on their way, Black Panther wonders if um, America's actions towards Captain America would affect their reaction to doom coming into america um and so this is a reference to what's going on in the captain america series right now where he's been removed from the captain america position by the government and steve rogers and now... branded a traitor Yeah, and branded a traitor and and he now goes by the captain wearing his um like black costume yep and john walker is captain america right and I'm not sure exactly how that plays into what he's sort of supposing here. That the comment didn't really make sense to me. It's like, well, if Captain America is considered a traitor, how are how are they going to treat Doom?
2: Um, Maybe just the fact that that they're willing to turn their back on one of their most celebrated heroes. Oh, maybe. And so
0: then somebody who has always had sort of a questionable relationship with them. There's
2: no way that they're going
0: to react well to this. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Although he does have diplomatic immunity. Well, actually, no, he wouldn't because... Because he's not ruler of the country anymore. Right. And and Latveria, if they were to ask, would say, no, he's an he's a, imposter. A, a, imposter, yeah. Right. Which is exactly what all the troops that invade start saying.
2: Although you have to wonder, Latveria yeah. is attacking U.S. soil. Yeah. It's not an international incident. Right.
0: <laughs> they just uh, yeah. kind of sweep that under the rug. Yeah. Oh, well. But I, I find the whole thing with um, John Walker and Steve Rogers kind of funny because... Um, the uh, when Steve Rogers is the captain, he wears the black costume, and then when he goes back to being Captain America, John Walker takes the black costume, becomes U.S. agent. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, there's a little switcheroo. Anyway,
2: well, yeah. we did it. We managed to talk for like an hour and twenty minutes or something over these two, these five issues in a graphic novel. So yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I guess it's uh, yeah. We can go on and on about comics. Yep. That's great, but so next time we will talk about the rest of this epic collection, and we'll get into Secret yep. Wars Three. and oh, buckle in is probably going to be a long episode because <laughs> there's a lot to discuss in these issues here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank uh, thank you everybody for checking us out. and you can check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, look for the Epic Marvel Podcast and search for Epic Collections on Facebook and you can join my Epic Collection group. But other than that, thanks for joining us again, Eric, and we will see everybody next time. Welcome. Goodbye.